Hello. Happy fourth. Well, happy third. But it's just me today. No slide guitar, no guest. Hit up a lot of people that I wanted to talk to, and they're like, ah, I'm out of town. We can do it this day. So I have <laughs> two or three lined up. So it's going to be a fun, fun July. But we're kicking it off with recapping June. <laughs> Hello. Also, very, very cute and funny thing to start the day. My roommate and I were cleaning. We were doing a little apartment sweep, and Buddy was just kind of wandering around staring at us. <laughs> he was just so unnerved by the actions that were occurring in the apartment. He was sitting in, in other places, just kind of, again, just always within staring view of either myself or Brandon. And casually, we were throwing out to each other, like, geez, what the fuck is going on with this dog? Why are you being so weird today? And he is, you know, he's fucking 15 years old or something. So whenever weird behavior happens, as an anxious boy, I'm like, oh boy, oh geez, what's going on here? Uh, so at one point he was doing his little, st- he was sitting in the middle of the kitchen, just staring at us as we cleaned out the pantry. <laughs> and I just looked at him and was like, what do you want, buddy? And Brandon goes, oh, I have a theory now. I, fi- I think I figured it out. And his theory was, I'm, so this is a Sunday afternoon I'm recording, and last night I had changed up the layout of the studio so I could watch a movie. I put put the the two chairs that are normally across from one one another that I do the interviews in, put them together to watch the movie, and put the you know the little table that we eat at in front of the chair. So Buddy had no access to his chair. So Brandon's theory was that he was being weird, looking at us, trying to convey, please go fix my chair. (laughs) So I put his chair back in his normal spot. And then like two minutes later from, you know, staring at us in the middle of the kitchen, just sitting down in the way, he's back in his chair, completely conked out snoring (laughs) he didn't know where to go he didn't know what to do with himself because his chair he had no access to it it is so funny it's just everybody everybody wants to be in their spot everybody has a spot they feel most comfortable in (laughs) and it's just I, I feel bad I took his chair away from him on a Sunday afternoon that's the that is the best time for you to be in your favorite spot a Sunday afternoon, whether it's a chair, the bed, a sunny hammock, who cares? Sunday afternoons are for your spot. So that's how my day has been going so far. And it's been, it's been cool. I, uh, you know, been busy, of course, busy doing shows, of course, busy recording. It has been a good, uh, a good string of episodes. I've had a lot of fun with, you know, hearing about Cam's trip to 
Gano is super cool. I mean, how 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 sweet is Cam? Isn't he just the nicest, huh? He's just such, such a talented, friendly person who has has to be a little little more cocky, a little more confident in himself. <laughs> he said something so funny. I like four minutes after I had stopped recording, I almost came back when it was just me and said, Hey, Cam said this. It was really funny. I'm making it the title of the episode. But I was talking to him a little bit after and he was, you know, thanking me for giving him the, you know, the, 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 the space to chat and, you know, get talk about his trip and some, you know, his family and you could hear it on you know 10 minutes into the episode as as I was trying to get the story out of him he was like should I tell the story I was like yeah bro like <laughs> you know he's, he's you know he I he seems like he would rather hear about others than talk about himself um but he does a lot of cool shit so after the episode I was like you're you know you're a really talented dude you're very fun you're you're cool like you gotta, you know, gas yourself up a little bit. We gotta, we gotta get you some gas going. And he, pa- he like took a quick second. And he just went, eh, maybe I'm electric. <laughs> <laughs> Which very funny, but everybody deserves a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of octane. Get that engine going. So that was it it's you know it, it attracts people to you of course because they want to be around you and you know you're humble and all you know it i feel like that brings people to you but inwardly are you as happy as you could be not talking to cam specifically but uh, you know just generally posing the question everybody deserves a little you know self confidence a pat on the back Alan is an absolute joy. I mean, come on. They call him White Chocolate. Another great soul working, you know, helping out kids and making sure that they have a a trustworthy outlet in a world that has, you know... Not been so kind, to put it that way, but dude can ball. That is very funny because, like, if you look at him, well, mm, yeah, white white three pointer. You know, if he, yeah, he does have that. Yeah, he's the the white three pointer specialist that you know comes in. Fires from three, you know, you're, you're Sam Hauser. Yeah. Yeah, that does kind of, yeah, okay. Dude can ball, though. Don't, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> and, of course, you know, Vickers family was great, adorable, hanging with Lumina and catching up it it was it was very interesting too to go back to back with the Vickers family and then with John because kind of had both ends of the spectrum back to back you know a a brand new spanking baby you know what was it four months old three she's she's brand new she just got here 
And the next week was John Galise, who I got, you know, a lot of really nice messages about that one. Thank you guys so much for, if you checked it out, if you listened to it, I hope you got something out of it. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, what are you doing? Listening to this one right now. Go listen to the John one. <laughs> go go hear John talk about life. <laughs> it was it was very special. And like I said, to go back to you know, to see a blank canvas in Lumina, someone who is going to live their life versus John, who as he said, he's lived his life. He's, you know, this is not how he saw it finishing and while he's angry he's accepted it and he has no no fear of what's to come because he has lived such a fantastic and full life and to ha- like I said to have that back to back was It was it was it was special. Just it was very interesting to see to to kind of skip the middle of the book, so to speak. <laughs> you know, and I'm in the middle of the book right now. It's still the beginning of the book. It's you know, it's I still have so much to go. But to see the, you know, the first chapter and not the last chapter, but, you know, a, a chunk, a chunk left in, in the novel of life. <laughs> it's, you know, and what do you fill those middle pages with? How do you find that piece that John has found where even though he was shortchanged is an understatement but even though he was shortchanged he still is happy with the way he played his cards and I think that that's very interesting there's been a couple, you know, this was a little bit ago, but Brandon and I were discussing, you know, do we re-up? Do, you know, it's all, you know, summer, September, boss, you know, it, it's crazy housing stuff here. And we were just talking about how we've enjoyed the little setup that we've created. And Brandon had, you know, summed it up nice and he said I don't know where it's going but I like where it is and I think that sentence speaks a lot for this feeling of you know seeing Lumina doing that episode having that conversation hearing what Andrew and Mar had to say and then talking to John right after I don't know where it's going. I know where it ends up. (laughs) I'll add that. But I do like where it is.
And I, th I, of course, there's always things that you think could be better. Shows you want to do, places you want to go, more money. But of course, there's also the big things that go overlooked and the little things that you don't even notice, ha you know, the big things that overlooked in the sense of like, yeah, that's cool. That's, I'm happy about that. And then you move on or the little things that, you know, you step right by. <laughs> it's the... June was an interesting, I got hit with a lot of like just life and death conversations and, you know, John Lumina, uh, I read a, a wonderful book called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. And the amazing movie that I did not see coming, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Yeah, you know, like the Shrek side character. Yeah, go go check that movie out, like right now. The little dog Perito, he will teach you so many lessons. He is honestly one of my top five favorite movie characters, probably. And that was, you know, uh, you know, those those no spoilers because you really really should should go check this movie out. It's a good movie. <laughs> But again, the whole thing, you know, it's basically enjoying what's in front of you, what you have, the life that's that's going on and not to take it for granted because we are not cats that have nine lives. We are Perito who has one. We are merely the little dog. And I think the book, too, was, you know, it, I, I finished it right around the, you know, the conversation I had with John. And, and it, was, it was, they basically ended the episode of, you know, John saying, I've lived a life. I'm happy with it. I'm ready for peace. And basically this book ended the same way of you know sitting in a, in the graveyard the the peace that comes the silence that's that's the reward for a life well lived but there was a very interesting i i it's it's a lot of stuff that gets again big stuff that gets overlooked because Caitlin Caitlin Doty's the uh, author and she talks a lot about how up until a certain point in western culture death was something that was seen it was bodies were prepared by you know relatives family members friends at the home 
it was something that was tangible and and at this turning point death became something that was prettied up was beautified and easier to look at and and that's you know there's a big part about embalming and that's i I would i would be curious i didn't i would not google if that's still the most popular practice in 2023 but the process of embalming it basically you're pumped full of chemicals to preserve some sort of quote unquote life so that when people come to view your body there's the trickery of yes they're gone but they look at them they're still there right there there they are you know there's there's no smell there's no there's no nothing they're they're dressed up in their favorite <laughs> their favorite sunday afternoon outfit and i think there there was one part that really was interesting about the embalming process where embalming became popular when undertakers in the early 1900s were a it was an occupation where people would pick up dead bodies from houses and that wasn't enough you know undertakers also did other stuff too like they it was basically one odd job in a handful of odd jobs that they did so they eventually started practicing embalming from you know the civil war doctors who would embalm people on the battlefields so they could be preserved to be brought back to family members so embalming has its place if you're gonna be you know driving the body from church to church city to city it's gotta gotta keep that waxy look um and then in this chapter called pink cocktail this is where you know she talks about the history of embalming and versus other cultures traditions of what they do with uh you know one, once a death happens and it's a you know i i'm going to do a little excerpt here and hopefully i've picked enough that will make sense and i don't i won't go too into the cannibalistic ritual that she describes and makes a case for of the wari tribe but if you made a face at that let me find the sentence yes the renaissance philosopher michel de montaigne wrote in his conventionally titled on cannibals that each man calls barbarism what is not his own practice so she describes the wari tradition and and then a a Tibetan ritual 
and then gets into the whole embalming process and talks about a, a co-work, a, a conversation she had with the embalmer at the crematory that she worked at. When we speak of embalming, the stakes are not small. Though there is no law that requires it, embalming is the primary procedure in North America's billion-dollar funeral industry. Oh, okay, there you go, Danny. It is the process around which the entire profession has revolved over the last 150 years. Without it, undertakers might still be the guys selling coffins, renting hearses, and pulling teeth on the side. So, how did we get to the place where we venerate... Ven, venerate? Mm, that's a new word. Haven't seen that since reading this, I guess. <laughs> where we venerate embalming, decorating our dead as lurid, painted props on fluffy pillows like poor Papa Aquino. That was a character in this chapter. The place where we embalm a man like Cliff as standard procedure, though not bothering to question whether he needs it. Undertakers in the late 19th century realized that the corpse was their missing link to professionalism. The corpse could and would become a product. August Renard, one of the earliest American embalmers, said in 1883 that the public had once believed that any fool could become an undertaker. Embalming, however, makes people marvel at the mysterious and incomprehensible process of preservation and made them respect the practice. During embalming's early years, the public perceived the undertaker as a fool, since the profession required no national standards or qualifications. Roving professors traveled from town to town holding three-day courses that ended with the professor attempting to sell you embalming fluid from the manufacturer he represented. <clears throat> but in just a few decades, the embalmer went from a huckster making money on the battlefield to a specialist. Manufacturers of embalming chemicals aggressively marketed the image of the embalmer as a highly trained professional and a technical mastermind, an expert in both sanitation and the arts, creating beautiful corpses for public admiration. Nowhere else were art and science so expertly combined. Companies pled their case in trade magazines like The Shroud, The Western Undertaker, and The Sunnyside. The new guard of embalming undertakers began to outline a new narrative, that with their technical training they protected the public from disease, and through their art they created a final memory picture for the family. Sure, they made money off the dead, but so did doctors. Did not embalmers also deserve to be paid for their good work? Never mind that corpses had been quite safely kept in the home prepared by the family for hundreds of years. Embalming was what made the professionals professional. It was the magic ingredient. Shinmon Aoki, a modern undertaker in Japan, described being ridiculed by society for his job washing and casketing the dead. His family disowned him, and his wife wouldn't sleep with him because he was defiled by corpses. So... Aoki purchased a surgical robe, mask, gloves, and began showing up to homes dressed in full medical garb. People began responding differently. They bought the image that he was selling and called him a doctor. The American undertaker had done something similar. By making themselves medical, they became legitimate. Watching Cliff go through the embalming process, I had the thought back to the Huang family's witness cremation and the vow I'd made to be the one to cremate the members of my family. I've been thinking about this, Bruce, I said, and I think I could cremate my mother, but there's no way in hell I could embalm her like this. To my surprise, he agreed. No way. No way. Maybe you think you could, until you see her laying there dead on the table. You think you could slice through your mom's neck and get to the vein? Think you could trocar her? 
This is your mother we're talking about. You'd have to be a tough sister to do that. Then Bruce stopped working and looked me in the eyes and said something that made me think, and not for the last time, that he saw his work as more than a trade. Though he hid his ideas under a boisterous personality and get rich through funeral dove schemes, Bruce was a philosopher. Think of it this way. Your mom's stomach is where you lived for nine months. It's how you got into this world. It's your origin, where you came from. Now you're going to trocar that? Stab her? Destroy where you came from? You really want to go there? High in the mountains of Tibet, where the ground is too rocky for burial and trees too scarce to provide wood for cremation pyres, Tibetans have developed another method of dealing with their dead. A professional rogyapa, or body breaker, slices the flesh off the corpse and grinds the remaining bones with barley flour and yak butter. The body is laid out on a high, flat rock to be eaten by vultures. The birds swoop in, carrying the body in all different directions up into the sky. It is a generous way to be disposed of, the leftover flesh nourishing other animals. Every culture has death rituals with the power to shock the uninitiated and challenge our personal web of significance. From the Rari roasting the flesh of their fellow tribesmen, to the Tibetan monk torn apart by the beaks of vultures, to the long silver trocar stabbing cliffs and intestines. But there is a crucial difference between what the Wari did, what the Tibetans do, compared to what Bruce did to Cliff. The difference is belief. The Wari had belief in the importance of total bodily destruction. Tibetans have the belief that a body can sustain other beings after the soul has left it. North Americans practice embalming, but we do not believe in embalming. It is not a ritual that brings us comfort. It is an additional 900 charge on our funeral bill. If embalming were something a tradesman like Bruce would never perform on his own mother, I wondered why we were performing it on anyone at all. Something to consider. I know that it's a hard thing to confront as someone who has been trying to confront death. But what do you believe in? And that's not a religious question. It's not, you know, what do you feel? And these, you know, these midnight snacks started as a way to record at night when I could not sleep and was was talking to my dad recently about you know sleep issues again going back to just finances and how to make things work and he did say losing sleep doesn't get you paid And that's, that's the truth. Once the day is done, you've done what you can do. You've believed what you can believe. You've earned your silence. You've earned your rest. So, with that said, 
enjoy your fourth. I hope you have today off or getting out early or whatever you're doing. I hope it's fun. And go enjoy, go, go do stuff that makes you earn rest. <laughs> All right, we're back to the slide guitar next week. Going to be a fun one. Thanks, guys. Bye.